0: Welcome to Family Life Today, presented in cooperation with this station by Power to Change. We hope today's program will give you something to reflect on and to encourage you in your relationships. Our hosts are Dave and Ann Wilson.
1: So you'll remember 30 years ago, we're starting our church. We decide we really want to reach the guy that doesn't go to church. So that's sort of our... Yeah, you know, our hope that we'd reach those kind of people. So the first series, do you remember what it was called? <laughs> yeah. What was it called? You don't remember. It's called The Art of Awesome Living. Oh no, which is I don't the, remember that it's part. It's the lamest title ever for a series. But in 1990, we thought that was cool, but we decided let's just hit all kinds of different topics, trying to see who might, mm-hmm. might come. So we did a, you know, message on stress and anxiety, on marriage and relationships, parenting. And then week four, uh, I put together a message called sex, colon, what a great idea.
2: That's what I do remember.
1: You remember that? Yeah. So I give this message. Uh, I get done. I'm talking to somebody in front of this little made-up stage, and I see this guy walking toward me. And I'll never forget. He goes, hey, uh, I don't know what they call you around here, but that was one blank of a sermon. He just <laughs> barks it out. And I'm thinking, wow, this is great. This is the guy we're trying to reach. So I go... I go, hey, hey, tell me your story. You you've been here before. No, I, I haven't been to church in thirty years. And uh, he just, he was so proud to tell me that too. And I go, well, how'd you end up here today? He goes, I'll tell you how how I ended up here. My wife came here last week. I was in bed, and she came home, and she goes, honey, you're gonna like this church. And so he shows up. Mike was his name. Six weeks later, gave his life to Christ. Cool. <laughs> and ended up serving. In our church for decades. and And just just this beautiful story.
2: uh, Just so our listeners know, it was a biblical viewpoint of God.
1: And that's my whole point. What we decided to do early in our church is say, this is something the church needs to be talking about. And we need to go to the word of God and the creator of sex and say, what's his design? And that's all I did in that message. And so that's what we're going to do. Today, we've got Shanti Feldhahn in the studio. She's a researcher and an author and a great friend of ours. Mm -hmm. And this is quite a combo in the studio today, because not only do we have Shanti, we have a certified sex therapist, Michael Seitzman, in the studio. I don't think we've ever had a certified. I don't think so. Michael, you're smiling. Do you like that title?
3: (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's one I've, I've gotten to be comfortable with, and part of what I love about it is, If we're going to speak to the subject, let's make sure that we've really studied, that we've tested, that we've shown ourselves to be approved, and to have a large organization say, yeah, you've got all the education, the training, the experience. That is comforting to me. Yeah,
1: how did you Mm -hmm. two connect on this book? Because this book, by the way, I'll give our listeners the title. It's called Secrets of Sex and Marriage, Eight Surprises That Make All the Difference. And I'm just going to tell you, we endorsed it because... It's one of the best I've ever seen on this topic. And part of it is this combination, Mm -hmm. this beautiful combination of it's biblical, but it's research-based, and it has the expertise of uh, therapy. So, yeah, how did you two end up combining for this?
4: So uh, Dr. Seitzma, Michael, he has been um, one of our sort of friends and advisors for me and Jeff as we've done the research on men and women and marriage and all these other things over the years – Whenever we would come across this topic and have to study it, half the time I'm calling Mike like, help, because I don't understand what I'm <laughs> saying in the data. And so he's been an advisor for all this time. And when we felt like we were being led into tackling this topic, which, by the way, Jeff and I were like, no. (laughs) But you did feel led to it. We did. The last research topic that we did was for our book, Thriving in Love and Money, because money is one of the big issues in marriage. Well, guess what one of the other big issues Mm. in marriage is? And so we recognized we really needed to do both. But (laughs) we also recognized that on this topic, we could do damage Mm -hmm. if it wasn't really accurate. And so we recognized that Mike was absolutely 100% the person to sort of co-labor on this Especially because he's also a researcher. Like, it could not have been more perfect. God Mm -hmm. set that up.
3: To have her say, let's do something together. I went into it kicking and screaming with my heels dragging. Oh, yeah, very much so. Oh, (laughs) he
4: totally did. Because for him, I mean, and I'm, I'm putting words in your mouth, but we actually, he says this in the book. Um, for him, he's like, well, but there's all these, you know, exceptions. You know, if 90% of people say one way, that means 10% don't. It's like, yeah, um, it can't be a 3,000 page book. (laughs) So we will say that it's 90 and 10, but we can't Mm -hmm. like go into all of those other like specialty topics.
3: There is a message that God has to tell here. And how do we make sure that message gets out? And Shanti's really been awesome in helping to craft that message and put it together.
4: Well, the thing that we felt Like this was an opportunity to do is all the research that Jeff and I have done over the years on marriage and parenting and workplace and all, you know, all the different areas of our lives and our relationships. We have found that so many of the points of pain. And so many of the heartaches that we have don't come from like the big, huge, specialized things like they come from the little day to day Mm. misunderstandings and the little day to day ways that you're trying really hard, but maybe trying hard in the wrong areas or that you're hurting each other without intending to. And so to be able to say, can we focus on a lot of that stuff? Like, what are the things that impact most marriages in their intimate life where most couples could if they just knew this or that, it would make a big difference. I got really excited about studying what were those things. Were you surprised? I mean, it's the <laughs> subtitle is eight surprises. Yes.
2: <laughs> and so as the day is coming in. Were you surprised, Michael? Like, was it anything to you that was surprising?
3: <laughs> Shanti's shaking her head, no. no. no.
1: <laughs> no. <laughs> there
3: really wasn't an awful lot that was surprising to me. Sometimes the extreme of the numbers um, was a bit of a surprise, but the direction that they went uh, was not a surprise. But it was for, for you, me, yeah. yes. <laughs> 100% of it was a Really? <laughs> now,
4: why is that? Yes, well... I mean, one of the topics that is to me something that explains something I had been seeing in the research for years and years and years that I didn't know what was underneath it is that, you know, a lot of people think if they're not connecting in an intimate way, it means that they, you know, that just the drive is different, right? That's what we've always thought. That's what we've always thought, And right? we've
1: actually taught that. Yes. I just hate to say this out loud. Well, and
4: there may be, right? <laughs> yeah. and that is a real issue, and we'll get, we can get into that. But I was so stunned once we actually dove into some of these, what are the reasons? How often it's not that. And how often it's like, for example, that... There are two different types of desire and it just functions differently for different people and especially, honestly, there's a big statistical correlation with men and women. That there's just some things that work physiologically differently. It just helps explain so much. So anyway, we can get into that Well, I think we need
2: to now, our (laughs) listeners are like, tell us. (laughs) us And and,
1: and I'll frame it this way. You have eight surprising secrets. We're probably not going to get them all you know we'll get some of them in in mm-hmm. this broadcast and in the next one uh but i just frame it this way as a pastor and we've been in ministry over 40 years in marriage areas and traveled the country and spoken on this the questions on this topic have heightened in the last 10 15 years mm-hmm. just as for us out traveling around, and I know you know that as well, but this is so important that we're talking about. I just feel as a pastor trying to help people, people want to know what God's word says, what's the creator's perspective, and how do I navigate this? You know this. You wrote the book on it, but I love, Shanti, I love what you and Jeff have done. Every book has the, here it is in a chart. Here's where you're going to go. You know, I'm a guy that's like, I'm going to go there first, and it gives me an outline. But you start the book with this question. I love it. It was, uh, what are couples up to in the bedroom? And <laughs> a guy like me is like, yeah, I want to know. Am I normal? Am I abnormal? Uh, what would you find out?
3: So, you know, for over 20 years doing this and speaking in various churches and organizations, and I ask, just give me any question you, and we have lots of ways that they can anonymously submit them. And probably the primary question I get is something along the line of, am I normal? What is normal? What do couples do? Mm. Um, are we within the, the typical kind of range? And then the next one is, can we? You know, is this okay? <laughs> and, or, allowed? or how do we do this kind of, of stuff? And the the what is normal is one of those questions that as sex therapist we really struggle with. We don't like to answer that because what is normal is really varied um, based from couple to couple. If you want to just ask maybe a typical what is normal question, what is the, the average that couples um, have sexual encounters, how often does that go? And we'd step back and say, well, that depends on how long have you been married. How old are you? Hmm. How many kids do you have? Are one of you starting a business? Are one of you starting a new job? Um, Has have one, you one just of you had moved a baby recently? <laughs> all of those things. <laughs> one of you, that would be <laughs> you. So you
1: know,
3: all of those shape it dramatically. To say what is normal well it, it it depends on the context, and so that does get difficult. but if we step back, one of the things we found is that um right about what percentage was sexless twenty
4: it was 23% twenty three percent in one survey and twenty one in another, A really yeah. high number. In what
3: is sexless what we in the sex therapy field would often identify as quarter, those that are almost
4: in, a quarter yep, of marriages are
3: engaging less than once a month
4: and that's what um one of the things i was interested to find out is that in mike's field they consider a marriage to be sexless if they're having these encounters less than once a month. And so that was 21 to 23%, depending on our survey, which is a pretty high number, more than one in five. And were that's you surprised what you were... by that, Shanti? Oh, I was very surprised by that. Now, we should also say... That ended up being highly correlated with age as well, and we went that up to we went up question. to seventy mm-hmm. age seventy five. Yeah.
3: But if we remove those couples, we were running about one point three times per week.
4: Four times in three weeks yeah. is what that
3: I means. Uh, okay. okay. It, And yet that varies by a lot of different factors, contextual factors.
1: If you're a couple like us listening to this and you hear a stat like 1.3 times a week, what do you want to do with that information? As a couple, do you want to go, oh, we're under, we're over, we need to do... I mean, what do you do with that?
4: Mike would probably have a different answer as a therapist. I'll tell you automatically what to me is the biggest issue is that it gives you a little bit of a framework remembering that the average is not necessarily the right one for you. The analogy that Mike used in the book is 70% of the people in your neighborhood may have a pet, for example. You may be the 30% that doesn't because you're traveling all the time or there's a reason you don't have a pet. And so it's not like there's a right or a wrong, right? It's just these are all just different you know, sort of perceptions and what works for you. However... I think it is helpful for people to be aware that, for example, suppose that you have one spouse that is a higher desire than another and the other one is much lower. And they're like, well, I think it's fine once every three weeks. You just have a crazy high drive. And to look at the numbers and go, um, No, that's not weird. There's a wide range of normal. It's hard to say what's normal, quote unquote, but it gives people a little bit more perspective Mm -hmm. on it. And by the way, one of the things I should mention, that sexless number that's so high, the actual number of where they say they never have sex is only 9% Mm. of the population, which is still quite high, one in 10. You guys seem to have some
2: concerns over the couple that is not engaging, like that's concerning to you. It is. And I've had a lot of people come up to me, women come up to me, and say that's the case for them. And as a therapist, Mike, you would be concerned about that?
3: Well, that's a symptom of something that's going on. And to step back and figure out what does this mean? You know, and, and if I tie that to what do we do with the 1.3? Well, you look and see where are we at in comparison to it? Well, we're higher. Well, what, what does that mean? Well, we have a better marriage than the typical marriage. So we're connecting more intimately than the typical marriage. That's a good thing. We're below that. Do we need to work on intimacy? If it's absent, the couple needs to figure out what that's about. Sometimes, There's a really good reason. It may be that there's a physical issue that's going on. There may be a disease process that's happening that has short-circuited their ability to connect Even in those, we would encourage them often to get creative. There may be other things that the couple can do to continually um, engage in physical intimacy that is enjoyable for them, even if their stereotypical behaviors no longer are an option due to disease. Others are the relationships unsafe, that something's been brought into that covenantal marriage that it's not safe to be that intimate with each other. And they're in the process or need to be in the process of, of healing that safety. So there may be a host of reasons why this couple is not engaging, and that's what we want to step back and figure out.
4: Hmm. Sometimes one of the things that I've seen as I've talked to women at like women's events, that kind of thing, though, is that sometimes it just becomes a habit. Sometimes you just get out of the habit of connecting. Uh And one of the things that we spent quite a bit of time looking at, and there's different studies on this that can help go further that are more complicated than my little brain can process, Uh but there is actually a chemical reason why sometimes when you get out of the habit that you want intimacy less. Hmm. Like you're literally your body, those chemicals in your body just aren't stimulate it as much. And so if you want it less and the chemicals aren't there, then you want it even less. And so mm. you have it less. And then the chemicals go down. <laughs> And then, so it's like a negative cycle. And one of the things that in general, now this is, there's all sorts of exceptions to this, but in general, to sort of make that decision and say, you know, as long as the relationship is safe, as long as there's Mm -hmm. not some of these factors that Mike was talking about. And there's an
3: enjoyment in it. And then
4: there's an enjoyment in it to be able to say, you know what? Yeah. I've been running around after kids or I've been busy and I'm just not thinking about it, but I'm going to decide. And then knowing that that's going to stimulate those chemicals in your body and you're actually going to be more interested next time, which means that then you might do that more and then stimulate those chemicals more. <laughs> and so it becomes a more of a positive, positive cycle. cycle. Mm-hmm. Because when I talk to a lot of, again, on the women's side of the world, I talk to a lot of women where it's just they've gotten out of the habit and they're just not, quote, unquote, interested. And part of it is because they're out of the now, habit. It,
1: and I know from a husband's perspective – I'll say it this way. I know a husband, a friend of mine, who would say, no, this is me. Um, <laughs> I'll be really honest because I've said this to Anne in this area. There's a fear that creeps in, for mm. me anyway, if it's been a while. I've told her, I'm afraid to touch you mm-hmm. because I feel like you're going to feel like, oh, you're touching me now, and it's not about love or affection. And so, yeah, and there's the negative cycle. So then you pull back like yep. – I don't want her to feel that way, so I'm just, even though, and the next thing you know, another few days have gone by, and you're like, now I feel even more fear. Yeah,
4: exactly. And so I don't know
1: how many men feel that way, but I think, I know Anna said this, I know other wives have said to their husbands, there's not any affection in our marriage, and so you feel like I'm using her, and so I don't want to do that, so the next thing you know, you're in a bad cycle. You guys have just identified what makes a difference. You said, I came
3: to her, and I said... I'm afraid this Let's is talk. what's going on. You guys are communicating about it. You're talking about it. Our research showed the same thing. It did. Couples that are communicating effectively are healthier, better, more satisfied, um, yes. more frequent. All of the factors that we're looking at were tied to how well the couple.
1: I mean, talk. I love how you said this in your book. You know, wrong assumption. We have a difficult time talking about sex, but that's okay. Actions speak louder than words. <laughs> Truth. Actions may speak louder than words, but without the words, you may not be getting much action. <laughs> so well said.
2: Okay, well, give us a homework for today. Like, we've been talking about this... What can we do to begin the process of communication?
3: Well, I think you identified something that's important to keep in mind as, as foundational. We often have been taught not to talk about it, that it is a sacred subject, and it is a sacred subject, and we're uncomfortable talking about it. Most couples don't have a good language for it. It's so easy to misunderstand what each other's saying. The first exercise I encourage couples to do is pick up a good book, um, something written by somebody who has some good training, <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) We might be recommending a particular (laughs) book at this point, But there are actually a lot of good books out there, and I encourage couples to sit down and read it out loud to each other. Together. Together. Hmm. And take turns with who the reader is. And the goal is not to get to the end of the book. The goal is to pause regularly and go, I think this author is just crazy. (laughs) Nobody is like this. And don't be surprised when your spouse looks at you and says, what do you mean nobody's like that? That perfectly (laughs) described me. (laughs) And and couples start hearing themselves use language, and it gives them language, and it helps make them more comfortable with having these conversations. Now they have a foundation, and they can say, you know, is there a way we could let each other know when this touch is just cuddling? Hmm. Or when this touch, we want it to be more intimate. Hmm. Can we have a language for that? And it allows couples to really lean in and be more intimate across the board just by communicating with it.
4: Well, and if if I could just also make a, a point here, just as the average non-therapist person, <laughs> <laughs> which is sort of mine and Jeff's role as we were going through this research project, but one of the things that is intimidating for an average couple, you know, like me and Jeff, is you have to talk about sex. It's like, what? You know, it's like it's so scary. scary. Right. It's actually much more simple than that. Really, what you're talking about is not like people are thinking, are you talking about techniques and mm. body parts? Like, what are you talking about? No, there's All sorts of stuff that's running under the surface in our hearts, all sorts of insecurities and worries and things that matter to us that we wouldn't have been able to really articulate. There's all of this stuff that's running under the surface. And once you know that, like, for example, that when you talk about reading our book out loud to one another or some of these others... It's that stuff that's being identified. It's that underneath the surface stuff that you're talking about. And that's a lot Mm -hmm. more freeing. It's Mm -hmm. the emotional things. It's what are you thinking and feeling about what is this, you know, when you haven't been together in a certain amount of time, what does that do in your heart? Mm -hmm. Like that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. is much more compelling to talk about. it's incredibly
2: intimate.
1: And it is intimate.
3: The reverse of that, too, is how do you feel when it's pressured? When you haven't hit that 1.3 and you're feeling like I have to step up, that is destructive. That's another great thing to talk about. And and to be able to say this is actually destructive to our relationship because I pull back more and more because Mm. the pressure is there. So how can both of them step back and create a a space between them that both want to be in Mm. and it's enjoyable for both of them? That takes them talking about Mm. the individual uniquenesses of who they are.
0: We want to thank Dave and Ann Wilson and their team for another edition of Family Life today. Although our programs are produced in America, the issues facing families like forgiveness, communication and taking care of our kids transcend national borders. These issues profoundly affect relationships everywhere. In Australia, family life is known as Power to Change, and our mission is to effectively develop godly families, the kind of families that change the world one home at a time. A key part of our mission includes strengthening marriages and families all around the world. We want to do whatever we can to bring timeless truths to the challenges you face as you seek to strengthen your family and join us in changing the world. If you'd like to listen to today's program again, visit our website families.powertochange.org.au and select the podcast tab where you will find the previous fortnight's programs available. Until tomorrow at the same time, God's richest blessings on your family.